Church, listen, your greatest victory to this morning over Satan will not come as a result of a counselor. Your greatest victory over Satan this morning will not even come by way of a Christian counselor. The best result will not come to you by reading the latest self-help book. Your victory over the devil will not come this morning by letting go and just letting God. It will come. Your victory over the devil and my victory over the devil will come this morning as you and I know and surrender to what the Word of God says. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter number 2, and I want you all to know that as I was speaking about preaching all eight points, that Mrs. Glass was nodding in affirmation of permission to do that. And since she signs my paychecks and you all don't, then I'm going to do whatever she says for me to do. Let's, let's all stand and read our passage once again. Philippians, Philippians chapter number 2. It is good to see you all this morning. And uh, we pray that the Lord will speak to you through God's word. Philippians chapter number 2 this morning. Uh, beginning in verse number 25. This is the word of God. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministereth to my want. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sitting sick nigh unto death, But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life, to supply your lack of service toward me. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make the word of God clear to us as we study it this morning. May you be honored and glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We live in a society today, a modern society, that is drawn, and by and large in some places, to selfless people. Now, we've reached a place in our society that selfless people are equated with foolishness. And I must admit that I am greatly challenged as I study and as I look at the life of truly selfless people. Because selfless people are not described, church, as as those people who give with the intent on getting. Truly selfless people are those people that give with no thought of reward or no thought of return. A truly selfless people give without reservation. Number one, and primarily, they give to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They do not give to be seen. They do not give to be to receive accolades. They do not receive, they do not give for any other reason but that Jesus Christ may be glorified in whatever they do. And in our society, and he unfortunately, even in the church, it is difficult at times for us to understand the selflessness of Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus. I listened the other day to a conversation and I wasn't snooping, but these people that were talking learned to whisper in a sawmill so I could hear them. And I listened to a conversation the other day where a, where a Christian leader was talking to a pastor and his wife and they were discussing certain things that I don't know what all they were discussing, but I heard this man say, wow, to this pastor and his wife, wow. When we get to heaven and it's time for rewards, you will be at the front of the line and I'm going to be way in the back. Now that dear brother met very, very, was well intended in what he said. But I thought as he said that, if you study the life of Paul and you study the life of Epaphroditus and you study the life of Timothy, they will be the ones that are at the front of the line and all of us are going to be at the back. Because in Epaphroditus, and we've, we've affectionately called Epaphroditus the servant of Christ who was the loving gambler. And I told you that I was going to have to explain what I meant by that. And Paul explains what he means by that when he talks about the fact that Epaphroditus served the Lord and Epaphroditus served the church even though he was sick nigh unto death. Epaphroditus gave of himself with no reservation. He gave of himself for the glory of God and he was selfless to the point of death and gambled with his own life for the sake of God and God's people. He truly gambled in order for the Philippians to be taught the word of God. He ultimately gambled for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we began to point out to you last week some characteristics, some traits. As I look down from verse 25 to 30, as I browse this passage and began to exegete and, and diagram this, these passages, I began to see eight characteristics of Epaphroditus that absolutely makes him stand out to us. And we saw last week that the number one characteristic of Epaphroditus is that he was saved. And I'm, they all begin with the letter S. He was saved. We saw there in verse number 25, the first part of 25, where Paul calls Epaphroditus, what? My brother. And the fact that Paul used the, the pronoun my, it gives us the idea that he has some, some great affection for, for uh, Epaphroditus. That he was not just a brother in Christ. He is my brother. I have an affection toward him. He is saved. He was elect before the foundation of the world. He was, his name was written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. He was reconciled. He was redeemed. Jesus Christ propitiated for the sins of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was in the process of sanctification. Epaphroditus has been the recipient of justification. And one day he will be the recipient of glorification. He, has been, he was adopted into the family of God. Epaphroditus was saved. 
And the second characteristic that we looked at last week is not only was Paphroditus was saved, but he was strenuous. He worked strenuously for the gospel. And we saw there the, the second part of verse 25 where not only does Paul call him my brother, but he calls him my companion in labor. And we looked at the fact, folks, that you and I, as the body of Christ, as the local church, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, we are the body of Christ. We make up, and Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, likens the church to a physical body where there's not one part of the physical body that is more important than another because they all work together. In fact, Paul says those parts of the human body that seem to be less comely, that seem to be less attractive. He says, basically says, you try to live life without them and see how that goes for you. And listen, church, we emphasized the point to you last week that there's not a person in Emmanuel Baptist Church that is not important to this ministry. We work together because we are the body of Christ of which Jesus Christ is the one and only head. I am not the head. The elders of this church are not the head. The Pope is not the head. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only is the head of the church and we are the body and the head tells the body what to do. We don't get our orders from Emmanuel, at Emmanuel Baptist Church from anyone but the head, which is Jesus Christ. And the head has told us what to do, hasn't he? The head has told us what to do in the pages of sacred scripture. We are a body. And as a body, we work together. And Paul says of Epaphroditus, he is my companion in labor. But he said, listen, not only is Epaphroditus saved, not only is Epaphroditus strenuous in his work, but number three, Epaphroditus is a soldier. Again, verse 25, as we go on from there, Paul calls him my fellow soldier. I want you to notice the progression. He says, he's my brother. He's my companion in labor. We work shoulder to shoulder. Folks, listen, aren't you glad that in the spiritual battle that you and I fight every day, that we have one another working side by side, shoulder by shoulder, that every one of us are in the trenches working for God? And that is why, folks, the local church is so vital because we work together in the trenches, shoulder to shoulder, fighting the powers of darkness and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also must do that as soldiers because the fact of the matter is, church, the more we work for the Lord, the more you and I will experience warfare in the cause of Christ. Epaphroditus was in the battle with Paul. Listen, church, I don't have to tell you this morning that life is a battle, isn't it? Life is a battle, especially if you are a child of God. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you began to experience battles in your life that you never experienced before because life is a battle and the life of a Christian is a battle. And as a child of God, we are engaged in a battle that we never thought possible before Christ. 
Because Satan is in this morning. He is in a relentless war against God's people. And Satan this morning is in a relentless war, not only against God's people, but in particularly God's church. And the way that he gets to God's church is by God's people. And the way he gets by God's people is God's families. Your families this morning are in a battle because the devil wants you individually and the devil wants this church. And so he's going to fight the families. He can't get to Christ, so he's going to fight against those who represent Christ. You and I are in a battle, and we need to wake up and recognize this and stop playing church. You're in a battle, folks. A.W. Tozer wrote a wonderful book. Brother Blue let me borrow many, many years ago. It's a wonderful book. And it basically said this, the church is not a playground, but a battleground. The church is not a playground. It's a battleground. We don't come here to get on a merry-go-round and have fun, although I have fun at church. We don't come here to play. We come here to get armed for the battle because you and I are in the battle. Because Satan is relentless. Because listen, church, you and I need to understand this morning that Satan is a relentless coward. He is a devouring coward. He is a liar, and he is the father of it, John 8, 44. And he is a devouring coward. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, even though he is a coward, even though he is devouring, even though he is relentless, you and I have a responsibility to be sober And what does the word sober mean? It doesn't mean free of alcohol. Listen, church, it means to be serious-minded. Life is not a joke. And you can't joke your way through the spiritual battles of life or you will stand at the feet of Satan defeated. Life is not a joke. And you and I need to make serious decisions and be serious-minded people because a spiritual life is a serious battle. And that's why Peter says be sober, be serious-minded, be vigilant, be constant, be careful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We're, We're in a battle. And we're soldiers. Folks, listen, Jesus Christ never promised an easy life, did he? He never promised you health. He never promised you wealth. He never promised an easy life. What did he promise you, John 16, 33? In this world ye shall have what, church? Tribulation. That's the promise. The promise is not an easy life. Jesus says the foxes have holes. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was right after a man says, listen, I will follow you wherever I go. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, listen, come follow me. We're not going to the Ritz-Carlton. It's not going to be an easy life. And what did Jesus promise you? Tribulation. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, the, the Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that through much what? Much tribulation, not just tribulation, through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul admonished Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
The word fellow soldier in, in that passage in Philippians is a Greek word that talks about being people in an army. When you and I became followers of Jesus Christ, we literally became enlisted in the army of Christ. Listen, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know what you thought you were getting into. I know so many people that the only thing they were interested in was fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell when I die. Only a fool would want to go to hell when they die. But I, but I don't really want to commit to Jesus either. We need to understand that when we came to faith in Christ Jesus, we literally enlisted in the army of Christ. And being that we are enlisted in the army of Christ, for us, church, to have a successful campaign, we must follow the com our commanding officer's strategic strategy for successful completion, shouldn't we? And what is that strategy plan? It is the scriptures. Listen, church, if you and I are going to be successful soldiers in the army of Christ, the only way that we're going to have success in this campaign is by following the word of God because we are soldiers. That is why when you and I neglect scripture, life is upside down, isn't it? Life is upside down. More times than not, whenever you have a bad time, whenever you have trouble in your life, you can always go back, and it's been because, at least it began, usually doesn't stop there, but it usually began, why? Because you and I neglect the Word of God. Whenever we neglect God's Word, our life is upside down because, listen church, when you and I neglect God's Word, we're in a losing war because you have neglected now hear me clearly, you have neglected, when you neglect scripture, you have neglected the only offensive weapon you've got. That's it. If you look in Hebrew, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the armor of God, he says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Helmet is what? Offensive or defensive, church? It's defensive. And the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God plays a much more important role in, the, in our lives as believers than perhaps we want to consider. Because it is by the Word of God, church, that we are continually cleansed from all of the filthiness of the world. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with how? With the washing of water by what? The Word. It is God's word, which is why at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we believe in sola scriptura, that scripture alone has the answers to everything in life, either implicitly or explicitly, because it is the word of God alone that is said to accomplish what it will be sent to do. In Ephesians, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, the prophet of God says through the prophet Isaiah about his word, that it shall not return to me void. But it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing which I sent it. When Jesus Christ was here on earth in the flesh, and you can read this, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, going down to verse 10, Christ tells us, or the Bible tells us how Christ just hammered away at Satan when he was tempting him in the wilderness those 40 days. The Bible tells us there in that passage how Christ just hammered away at Satan with Scripture. Church, listen, your greatest victory to this morning over Satan will not come as a result of a counselor. Your greatest victory over Satan this morning will not even come by way of a Christian counselor. 
The best results will not come to you by reading the latest self-help book. Your victory over the devil will not come this morning by letting go and just letting God. It will come. Your victory over the devil and my victory over the devil will come this morning as you and I know and surrender to what the Word of God says. That's when victory comes. The Word of God is not just something that you read and learn. The Word of God, church, is something that you and I must know for spiritual survival. We are not in a game. We're not in a game. Nobody is in the army of the Lord to play hopscotch. We are in a battle. This is not a game. Because if Christ used the word of God to fight and defeat the temptation, then what should you and I use to fight the devil and temptation? And if you and I do not know the word, we will live in defeat. And you can know the word of God, folks, with this confidence that the word of God will never fail. The word of God is a, is the, is a, Verbal plenary inspiration of God. It is the theopanoustos. It is the breath of God. And being that it is the breath of God, it will never fail. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, that though it is not the word of God, had taken none effect. Of course, he's speaking about the word spoken to Israel. And he says, listen, Israel isn't saved not because it's the scripture's fault, because the word of God will never fail. And whether it be salvation, church, or whether it be in sanctification, as you grow in grace and become more like Christ, the word of God will not fail you. The word of God will not fail you. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, and that if from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. How does someone get saved? I read that this morning in our, in our pastor's prayer. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul echoes that again in verse 15, that you are able to come to salvation by what? The holy scriptures. They were able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture, he says in verse 16. How much? Pos theopanoustos. Pos grafe theopanoustos. All scripture is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That was not tongues, that was Greek. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Besides, I was my own, I was my own interpreter, so I'm okay. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is what? Profitable. Useful. For number one, doctrine, reproof, correction for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that, Henneclaus, in order that, or for this purpose, here's the purpose of the word of God, church, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is able to teach us. The word of God has the power to reveal your sin. And the word of God has the power to change you. Listen, church, if we go to any other source for victory over sin, victory over self, or victory over Satan, then the word of God, we're going to lay prostrate, not at the feet of Christ, but we're going to lay prostrate at the feet of Satan, defeated, because we've tried to win the battle except by the strategic battle plan that the head of the church has given us. Our commander-in-chief has told us that this is the only way, this is the only source you have to win the battle over, this, over Satan. 
and to go to any other source, folks, as a soldier but the Scriptures is to lose a battle. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is quick, or the, literally the Word of God is alive. It is living. It is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Church, we are soldiers. And Paul says of Epaphroditus, he is my fellow soldier. There's no place in the world. There's no group of people in the world that I'd rather be in the trenches with fighting the devil than Emmanuel Baptist Church. And that's why I'm so thankful for the local church. Because we're fellow soldiers. We're not just soldiers. We're fellow soldiers. I'm a soldier. You are a soldier. We're soldiers. And it, and it is in the difficult times of life that it becomes apparent where we find our greatest joy. Always remember, never forget this, the more we serve God, the more we will find ourselves on the front lines of spiritual warfare. Because the devil is not going to oppose someone whose life is, not, is making very little or any difference for the kingdom. But it is the believer that is working for God whose life is counting for time and eternity. Those people that have put their nose to the grindstone that, may, that, that most often find themselves in the midst of the battle. We are soldiers. We are warriors. We're warriors. And we have, church, listen, we have one weapon. We have one offensive weapon. And that's the word of God. When Satan tempts you to sin, where do you go? Do you give in? Do you quote the latest quote from the self-help book? You quote Joel Osteen? You quote Rick Warren? Or do you quote the Word of God? I don't want you quoting me. You quote the Word of God. Because, folks, listen, we're warriors. You're in a battle. And people that are in a battle fight. That's why, folks, I've told you this many times, but that's why in my life as a as pastor, that's why if you want me to, if you want my fangs to come out and you want to see me get ugly. You let me find a false teacher trying to mess with one of my kids. And I know that some of you are older than me. But I mean that term affectionately. You want me to get ugly? You let me hear a false teacher mess with one of my kids. And I will come on him like ugly on eight. 
because we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And we need God's word to fight the battle. And that's the only way we're going to win is the word of God. Paradise was a soldier. You can't be a soldier unless you're saved. Not in the Lord's army anyway. You're a soldier in the devil's army if you're not saved this morning. You're fighting for the one we're fighting against. You're on, if you're not saved this morning, if you never trusted uh, Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, then you're on the devil's side. You're in his army. You may not realize it, but that's whose battle you're fighting for. But those of us who are saved, we're battling for Christ. And it's a war. We're warriors. And we need the word of God. Number four. Paphroditus was saved. Paphroditus was strenuous. Paphroditus was a soldier. And number four, Paphroditus was sent. That's the fourth characteristic of a Paphroditus. I don't know where that double, uh, that double uh, numer Norman numerical came from. Y'all have to talk to Zachary after church tonight, today. But Paphroditus was sent. Look at what he says there in verse 25 again. He says, but your messenger. We'll stop right there. But your messenger. We become like, really, church, the people of Jerusalem in, in the account of Nehemiah. They, you know, remember what happened with Nehemiah when they were in the book of Nehemiah when they were trying to rebuild the wall there in Jerusalem? What happened? They were under so much opposition that they had to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Because the entire time they were building, they were also fighting. Listen, church, I don't care what you're doing to build the kingdom. We, are go we have been sent with a message, not with weapons made by hand, but with the Bible in both hands, one acting as a sword and the other in order to fight and the other acting as the message that we are to take. As you and I are sent, just like Epaphroditus was sent, Paul says Epaphroditus, he is your messenger. And the word messengers there is agaleos in the Greek, is also translated angel or just somebody that carries an important message. And as we carry that important message, we have the message in one hand. This is the message. We have the weapon in the other hand. This is the weapon. And the same message by which we proclaim is the same message by which we fight. You and I are sent. And as we are sent with a message, we not only proclaim the message, but we fight against those who would hinder the message. Epaphroditus was their messenger. But he was ultimately, church, the messenger of God. You and I not only fight for God, but we are God's messengers. Now, Epaphroditus was not an official apostle. He never saw Christ, the risen Christ. But the word there for messenger is, is a general term that means one sent with an official on an official mission. He was sent by the church at Philippi to minister to Paul. And this is not just the job of some people in the church. Every Christian, every Christian is sent by God with words of encouragement to others in need. 
And the needs of our world, that the message that the world needs, church, this morning, is the message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. The believer, church, has one message to send to the world. And what is that message? Repent. Repent. Salvation, folks, is not a message that we give as an option. Salvation in Scripture is a command. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the message that you and I as believers need to be sent, are sent, to give to the world the message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, and saying, repent ye, imperative in the Greek, repent, you repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, church, the message of the cross that you and I are sent to give is not an optional message. The message of repentance is a commanding message. It is an imperative. It is a command. You repent. Believers are to be messengers of reconciliation to the world. You and I are sent with this message to the world. You can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's our message. Let me ask you a question this morning, church. How are you giving out that message? How are you giving out that message? Not only by your words, but by your life. Because listen, people far more will watch what you do more than they will listen to what you say. How are you giving out the message that you and I have been sent by the master to give? But we have a message to those also within the church. We not only have a message to give to the world, but we have a message to give to those in the church. And the message that we have to carry to the church is the greatest message of coming to Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore what? Comfort ye yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do in first thessalonians chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 the apostle paul gives a wonderful discussion about the time of the return of christ the rapture of the church but i would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope for if we believe that jesus died and rose again them also which sleep in jesus will god bring with him for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? This is the message that you and I are sent to give each other in the church. Listen, the battle is the Lord's, and the day is coming when this will no longer be. The battle you're fighting this morning, church, whatever it may be, I don't know what battle you're fighting today. 
I don't know how, I don't know this morning how, how broken your heart may be, but the battle you fight this morning has come to pass. It will go away. Whatever you're fighting today, it will go away. Jesus Christ will be victorious. He will win the battle. Just hang in there. Put your faith and trust in your commanding officer. Follow the scriptures. And whatever battle, whatever heartbreak you're going through today, it will stop. It will stop. And you and I are sent with that message to give each other. We are sent to carry a message of reconciliation to the lost. And we are sent to carry the message of comfort to those in the church that are hurting. How is it with you today? Do you see yourself as a soldier? Do you see yourself as battling the battle? Do you see yourself as fighting the battles of Satan? Do you recognize the fact that you are in a war? Do you use the only weapons you have that's offensive? That's the word of God. How do you see yourself this morning? You are a soldier. Whether you see yourself as a soldier or not, folks, you are a soldier. How are you doing with the message that God has sent, has given you to give to others? How are you doing with the message of reconciliation? How are you doing with the message of salvation? How are you doing with the message of comfort? You are a soldier. And you are sent. And number five. Servant. Servant. Paphroditus was saved. Paphroditus was strenuous. Paphroditus was a soldier. Paphroditus was sent. But Paphroditus was a servant. Again, look at verse 25. And he that ministered to my wants. We'll stop right there. The word wants there is a word that literally speaks about that which is lacking, that which is needed. So literally, Paul praises Epaphroditus in that he was a servant that ministered to his needs. This word is used five times in the New Testament. In the, and at one of the times it's used, it carries the idea of the priestly service of someone ministering in the temple by attending to the holy items within the temple. Epaphroditus was involved in spiritual work. And as Epaphroditus is serving Paul, he is in reality, church, giving his life, his own life, as a sacrifice to the Lord. We live in a society where people want to be served instead of serve others, don't they? And unfortunately, that attitude has permeated the church where we have many people. I mean, Paul said that in verse 21, didn't he? That they all seek their own things, not the things of Jesus Christ. And that, that attitude has permeated the church where we, are, where we are more consumed with our own desires, our own wants, than we are those of serving other people. Christ illustrated that, that attitude best for us in two instances that I want to mention to you just in passing this morning. The first one was in Philippians chapter 2 where we saw the humility of Jesus Christ, didn't we? 
The humility of Jesus Christ where God, God of very gods, the eternal, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign, providential, immutable God became one of his creatures. What great humility that was. But we also see the humiliation of Jesus Christ in the fact in John chapter 13 where he stooped to wash the feet of his disciples. And you know the thing about that account there in John 15 that amazes me? And this challenges me in my humility. I can't think of many feet that I'd be willing to wash, quite honestly. But this challenges my way of thinking. It really does. That not only did Jesus Christ stoop to wash the feet of Peter, Jesus Christ stooped to wash the feet of John. Jesus Christ stooped to wash the feet of Bartholomew. But Jesus Christ stooped and washed the feet of Matthew. But what amazes me is that the God of creation, the one who spoke everything into existence, stooped to wash the feet of Judas. The very one that he knew would betray him, he stooped to wash his feet. He became the servant to the one who hated him. Listen, folks, Judas' hatred of Jesus Christ did not begin on the night of his betrayal. It began from his conception. Judas hated Christ from birth. And he was implanted by the sovereignty of God within the rank of the apostles. And our Savior stooped to wash the feet of the betrayer. You and I are servants. That's what Paul calls Epaphroditus. Paul says of Epaphroditus, he was here for my needs. Are you here for the needs of others? Charles Spurgeon has an amazing, had an amazing quote. He said, if God has called you to be a servant, why stoop to be a king? Wow. If God called you to be a servant... Why stoop to be a king? In other words, God's calling supersedes any human rank. How about you? Do you see yourself as a servant? There are, there are a world around us, folks, with needs. There are people in this church with needs. And God has called us to step out. To be those people that, that come alongside and as Moses, as Aaron did and Hur did to Moses, hell held up his arms in the battle. You and I are called by God to be servants, to hold up the arms of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to meet their needs whenever we can, materially, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be. In fact, it's so serious that John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? John says, don't tell me you love God and you see a brother that has a need and you refuse to meet that need having the ability to meet that need. We're servants. Because Epaphroditus selflessly gave of himself to the knees of Paul. Epaphroditus was willing to travel 620 miles from Philippi to Rome. Now, 620 miles is a long way today. In the first century, Epaphroditus didn't, 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 didn't jump on uh, American Airlines. 
He got on a ship and traveled 1,620 miles over rough Mediterranean waters to meet the needs of Paul. And one of the reasons why he did that was to send an offering. Because remember in Philippians, we haven't got there yet, but Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul praises the church of Philippi because they gave him an offering. They sent him a, a sweet, uh, he calls it a sweet smell, a sacrifice well-pleasing and acceptable to God. Because you need to remember that while Paul was under house arrest, Paul would have been reliant upon the goodness and generosity of others for food and accommodations. Because the only thing that the Roman Empire uh, provided was the soldier to supervise Paul. If Paul was going to eat, Paul had to buy his own food. If Paul was going to have a roof over his head, Paul had to pay rent. He was a, he was a, he was a prisoner. He had to buy his own food and pay his own rent. And so the church of Philippi wanted to send Paul an offering. And Epaphroditus says, listen, my, my buddy Paul's got a need. He says, I'll go. He says, I'll go. And no doubt, Paul, Epaphroditus performed many other tasks for Paul while he was in Rome. The Epaphroditus church is a good example to us of how each one of us ought to act toward fellow believers. Is this how you act toward your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Listen, the church of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel Baptist Church, the family of God, listen to me very clearly, has no room for arrogance, has no room for looking down on other people, has no room for coming along and judging other people. Nobody in this worship center this morning has any right to judge anybody else for any other reason. There's only one word that separates the worst of sinners from the most holy saint, and that is the word what? Grace. We are all sinners, we're all brought into the world totally depraved, and we're all saved by the same grace. And so there is no room in the family of God for judgment, there is no room in the family of God for disdain, there is no family in the room for the family of God by, by uh, uh, passing on different ideas to people, but the only thing that we as God's people need to be are servants. We're servants. Are you a servant? Do you see yourself as a servant? Are you... Involved in yourself. Number six. Paphroditus was saved. Paphroditus was strenuous. Paphroditus was a soldier. Paphroditus was a servant. But number six. Paphroditus was selfless. Paphroditus was selfless. When a person views themselves as a servant to others... It is no wonder that in the normal process of things, they will be selfless. Notice what he says in verse 26. I love this. For he longed after you all. And the word long there is a Greek word that speaks about an intense desire. You know, maybe you felt this in, you know, some of, some of you, you, maybe you felt this, you know, this longing for your, your husband or wife, especially when you were dating. Who all, you guys remember, probably these two do, but how many of you all remember dating your wife or dating your husband? Do you remember? Uh, what, if some of y'all got Alzheimer's or something? What's wrong with y'all? None of y'all remember? And who all remembers the intense desire to be with them? Bonnie, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark is the exception of every rule. He, he, he proposed on one knee to his wife in front of a Confederate cemetery. There is not a romantic bone in that boy's body. And what he said was, not a bunch of wishy-gushy, oh, I love you, you're the best thing ever happened to me. So, you want to get married? 
But all of you all remember, most of you all remember, when you were dating your significant other, the intense desire just to be with them, the intense desire to please them, that's the idea. Paul said of Epaphroditus, he longed for you all. Not romantically, obviously, but the, the same intense desire is there. He wanted to be with you. Epaphroditus possessed a deep, intense feeling for these fellow believers in Philippi. He was not a worker in that he simply was going through the motions. He had a deeply felt emotion for these people. Then there's also what he says about Epaphroditus in verse 26. And was full of heaviness. He longed to be with you guys, but he was distressed. Why? Why was he under so much anxiety? Get this, verse 20, latter part of verse 6. And this challenges me. Because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Now, wait a minute. Epaphroditus was distressed. Epaphroditus was in anguish. Epaphroditus was in anxiety because he heard that you heard that he was sick. And the point is, folks, that while Epaphroditus was sick, the focus was not on himself. The focus was on them. The focus was on them because he was selfless. He was more concerned. And here's the idea. He was more concerned about how they reacted to his illness than he was concerned about his own health. He was more full of anxiety, not that he might die, but he was full of more anxiety because the Philippians were worried about that he might die. He wasn't worried about dying. He was worried about them worrying about him dying. You see, folks, that's how you can tell or not whether you're really selfless. It's if your focus is on yourself or your focus is on others. He was full of anxiety at the thought of them being concerned about him. He had that heaviness, and literally, heaviness carries the idea of being beside oneself. His distress was not because of his own sickness, of his possible looming death. It was caused by the realization that the Philippians had the same concern for him. Epaphroditus felt for the Philippians, church, what we should feel about each other. People of Emmanuel Baptist Church, our ministry is not just to carry out with our hands, but our ministry is to carry out with our hearts. With our hearts. We must be emotionally connected with others in the service of the Lord. We must seek to feel with them and feel for them. Because again, Epaphroditus was the opposite view of verse 21, wasn't he? For all seek their own things, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus was more concerned for them, for others than he was himself, even though verse 26 or verse 27, for indeed he was sick nigh unto what? Death. Verse 27, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. The same mercy that God showed on Epaphroditus, Paul said, God showed on me. Listen, everybody here has special people in your life, don't you? People, special people other than, other, other than the Lord. I can imagine in, in a million worlds doing ministry without my wife by my side. I can't, I can't even imagine that. 
I can't imagine doing life without the Lord by my side, without my wife by my side. Obviously the Lord, but my wife by my side. But God has brought other special people in my life that I can't imagine doing ministry without them. I can't imagine church without looking down from this pulpit and seeing their smiling faces. That's how Paul felt about Epaphroditus. He was sick. He was nigh to death. But Paul says God had mercy. Not on him only, but also on me. Look what he says in verse 27. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And the word sorrow is a Greek word lupe, and it means to have pain of mind. Epaphroditus was a valuable person to Paul because he was saved. Epaphroditus was a valuable person to Paul in the work of the ministry because he was a strenuous worker. Epaphroditus was valuable because he was sent. Epaphroditus was valuable because he was a servant. And Epaphroditus was valuable because he was selfless. And Paul says, listen, if God had taken Epaphroditus, I would have pain of mind upon pain of mind. It would have been a soul-wrenching sorrow. But Epaphroditus showed immense selflessness and concern for them. He was more concerned for them worrying about him than he was for himself. Church, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you selfless? How is your care for others? Are you more concerned about the needs of others and the distresses of others, or, you, or is your focus of your life about yourself? Epaphroditus was a man who was absolutely, positively selfless, even selfless to the point of death. What about you? Are you saved this morning? Have you placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? Or are you trusting in membership to a church? Are you trusting in good works? Are you trusting in your baptism? Are you trusting in giving yourself to rules and regulations? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and you've received his salvation and then rest in him alone? And if you are, are you a strenuous worker? Are you working in the body, shoulder to shoulder with your fellow brother, brothers and sisters in Christ to make, the word, to make the body of Jesus Christ function properly? Do you understand the fact that you're a soldier? Do you understand the fact that you are sent with a message? Do you understand the fact that you are saved to be a servant? Do you understand the fact that you are saved to be selfless? we got two more. How about you this morning? How, as you look at the life so far of Epaphroditus, how do you measure up? Maybe you're saved, and I trust you are, but maybe you're running a little bit slack on the other points. Maybe you're not a strenuous worker. Maybe you're not selfless. Maybe you're not a, the soldier you should be. You don't use the word of God. Maybe you're not, maybe you don't, you're not going. You're not, you're not sent because you're not going. You don't see yourself as a servant. The word Epaphroditus challenges us today. 
And the Word of God challenges us to be what Epaphroditus was. How about you this morning? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.